from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Chong. On January 1st, a Missouri law banning, quote, unauthorized sleeping and camping on state-owned land went into effect. This law, for all intents and purposes, criminalized people who live their lives without homes all across the state. That means places that are urban, suburban, and rural. St. Louis attorney Stephanie Loomis, who's with the Cook Group, represents seven homeless clients in a federal lawsuit aiming to strike that law down. She's here with us today to talk about the law and its implications. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Elaine. Thanks for having me on. Stephanie, what does the law itself state? So Section 67.2300 of House Bill 1606 states um, and basically prohibits unauthorized sleeping, camping, uh, or construction of long-term shelter on on state-owned land. Um, And our suit essentially takes issue with a few of those concepts. First, um, the law is pretty vague. What is unauthorized conduct? Mm -hmm. What does that mean for ordinary Missourians? And, And to survive constitutionality challenge, you have to make this law understandable for ordinary Missourians. It has, you have to be put on notice as to what conduct is prohibited. And also, what is state-owned land? Is it the public park? Mm-hmm. Is it law or is it land owned under, un, under bridges for Missouri Department of Transportation? Is it land owned by the city of St. Louis? We don't know. And um, as a result, we believe that this law is unconstitutionally vague. Now, the first step in the federal lawsuit, it it moved to block this law from going into effect. That didn't work. So what comes next? Right. So we filed a temporary restraining order on December 22nd. um, And our request to the U.S. Eastern District was to to basically halt this law, to enjoin it, so that um, we could get this sorted out to, to stop enforcement while the suit progressed. We filed a temporary emergency restraining order, and the court did not find that it was emerg- an emergency situation. So our next step is to enjoin the law without the emergency factor through preliminary injunction, which we will be filing um, in the coming months. Mm-hmm. So um, we were struck down on the emergency portion of it. Now we're going to say, okay, enjoin this law while this lawsuit progresses because it's the wrong thing to do based on the, on the premise of our case. Now, also here with us is attorney Phil Telfian. Phil is an attorney and executive director of the nonprofit Equal Justice Under Law. Together, Phil and Stephanie are challenging Missouri law in federal court in that same lawsuit filed on behalf of seven people who are surviving on the street or in encampments, options which are now illegal under state law. Phil, welcome. Thank you so much, Elaine. There's a part of this law that creates a new criminal violation for, quote, unauthorized camping, which typically is something handled by police. In addition to that, the law also gives Missouri's attorney general the power to sue any city for not enforcing this ban on camping or sleeping on state land. What is the strategy behind these elements? You know, uh, it's so interesting that you ask that because we're seeing this kind of law cropping up in different states across the country. A very similar law was just passed in Tennessee and a very similar law just passed in Texas. So it's not just Missouri. And what we're seeing is these states, the legislatures pass the law. They seem to be aware that there are plenty of cities, plenty of individual police officers who don't feel so comfortable arresting someone for sleeping. It doesn't feel compassionate, it doesn't feel particularly respectful. 
And so what the law does in Missouri and in Tennessee and in Texas is it authorizes the state to come in and force those cities and those police officers who may not be willing to make arrests just for sleeping outdoors to force them to make those arrests. I think there's an awareness by the state legislature that this law is not compassionate. It's a cruel way of criminalizing homelessness. Are there some reasons sort of beyond what you've mentioned about citing people for sleeping that um, that would make local police reluctant to to enforce this law? You know, there's so much that Stephanie and I have seen uh, with our clients that any human being who has to enforce a law like this, I mean, we all know what it's like in the wintertime. The irony of this law going into effect on January 1st, uh, people are just trying to survive. One portion of the law says it's illegal to construct any long-term shelter. Some people interpret a tent as long-term shelter or even just using a sleeping bag. Basic protections from the cold, basic protections from the winter have now become illegal. So you can, of course, sit in the park awake. You can spend time in public land. That's not illegal. But once you fall asleep or once you bring a sleeping bag or a tent to protect yourself from warmth, all of a sudden you've committed a crime. And a lot of the police officers throughout the state, I'm sure, are going to have mixed feelings about should we really be criminalizing someone who's just trying to stay alive? Mm-hmm. Stephanie, you had something to add there? Yeah, I I think that law enforcement probably see what I see when I go to see my clients. Um, some of them are disabled. They can't get out of the tents. Um, when I kind of like kneeled in the tent to talk to them about the case, it's 10 degrees warmer and it's 22 degrees outside. It literally makes the difference between life and death for them. I mean, when when, when I go down to see my clients and update them and, and see how they're doing, I see people gathered together trying to keep warm. Um, they're sweeping with broken brooms in their, their common space trying to keep it clean. Um, they, one young gentleman was fixing a bicycle so he could get to work. Um, I see people in wheelchairs. Um, I, I think that it would be hard for an individual to walk down there and arrest somebody um, engaged in just existing mm-hmm. for sure Stephanie can you tell us a little bit about the backstories of the people who are part of this suit um, you know what is the range of their experiences sure absolutely um, probably about half of our plaintiffs have jobs um, they regularly use St. Louis public transit to try to get to their jobs. It takes them hours to get there. Um, they do it. Many of our folks have physical disabilities, which, which makes that track a, a more difficult. Um, some of our folks um, are trying to find work but can't. I mean, it, it's hard to find a job if you don't have a mailing address or you don't have a phone. Um, or you've been out of work for six months. Um, or maybe you have a, you know, a municipal violation preventing you from from getting a job, um, one of the one of the plaintiffs is kind of the the mother of the St. Louis Riverfront camp. Mm-hmm. Um, during the cold snap in St. Louis, and and it was below zero, they put she put nine to ten people in a tent, um, bundled them up, and they stayed awake all night because they were afraid if they went to sleep that they would die, that they would freeze to death. So a lot of my plaintiffs credit her with saving their life during that during that recent cold snap. So, I mean, in, in some senses, they're they're heroic. Phil, in what ways is what Stephanie has shared about the defendants representative of 
the stories of people all across the United States who struggle with housing. And that not to to suggest that they should be understood as a, a monolith, like they're all the same. But yes, again, how reflective is, is what she, Stephanie is sharing of what you have seen and experienced? I think Stephanie hit the nail on the head when she talked about the variety. You know, we're very lucky to be partnered with Stephanie on this case in Missouri, but we do similar work across the country. And we've seen this full spectrum with people experiencing homelessness. You know, there's a lot of um, false stereotypes and misconceptions. The majority of people we work with, like in Missouri, in other parts of the country are working, have full-time jobs. Um, there's a lot of discrimination, not just on housing status, but sometimes race and other factors come into play that make it really hard for people to find stable, permanent housing. We've also seen variety in the response. Look, most of us feel that homelessness is a tragedy. No one's saying this is a great state of affairs. You know, solutions are needed. But we look at cities like Milwaukee and Houston who are doing a more compassionate response, trying to help folks get into permanent housing, helping with payment for that housing on an interim basis. You know, a lot of people worry, well, isn't that expensive for the city? actually ends up saving a lot more money when you compare it to arresting someone, running them through the court system, there's possible jail time. You know, criminalization, what Missouri's doing, can be a very expensive process, and other cities are seeing more compassionate solutions that also actually save money. Stephanie, you had something to add there. Right, and I think the resounding, you know, feeling in these encampments is there is no reliable shelter. I think some folks might assume, well, they should just go inside. They should go into shelter. We, you know, in our declaration and our suit, we've made it clear that, you know, the city struggles to house everyone despite, you know, valiant efforts to do so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to put it in, in another perspective, I've talked to folks on the riverfront who some identify as female and they're not welcome in a woman's shelter. Um, some do not feel safe in shelters and they don't want to be separated from their families. So there's several considerations. I mean, and this is something that we have been talking about on the show regarding um, our unhoused neighbors here in St. Louis, and not just in the city, but in the the county as well. Um, What are the worries right now, Stephanie, that your clients have? I think my clients are worried about, one, survival. They don't want to freeze to death. Um, and if they had somewhere to go where they were not huddled together, staying awake to prevent that, they would go there. Um, they are worried about um, being moved, again, off of their land or they're being, not off their land, but where they're, where they're staying. Um, they're worried about being arrested. They're worrying, worried about being incarcerated. Um, and, and if they are incarcerated, where are they going to go? When they, you know, eventually do get out of jail, where's their next step? Because it, it is not... There's not reliable housing for them. So they will just, will they continually be arrested over and over again because there's nowhere to go? We're not sure. But they are worried about those things and they're worried about the impact of their already difficult lives. Mm-hmm. Phil, in so far as um, other states that are pushing similar legislation, what do you think is contributing to um, the desire to put into effect laws like this that criminalize those who do not have homes? 
You know, it's such a great question because a big part of our, our mission as a nonprofit is to try to understand how can we reach solutions that work for everyone. What we're seeing in different states is something we can all sympathize with. You know, people are worried about this problem. People have maybe had difficult experiences or just frankly, you know, want better options than, you know, having to see their, their you know, fellow citizens sleeping in a park. So the, the problem I think we can all sympathize with What's happening in places like Missouri and Tennessee and Texas, I think, is a failure to appreciate the complexity of the problem. And when you see a legislature like in Missouri or Tennessee or Texas taking the easy way out, well, let's just make it illegal. I think that's the gut reaction is we don't like this, so let's make it a crime. That's the first instinct. But as Stephanie is helping illustrate here, the problem is a lot more complex. There's so, many, there's so much variety in the experiences and the reasons. Uh, it's not fair to assume, for example, that people are just unwilling to stay in a shelter. Often the options are not safe or just not available. Um, so if we could create safe, available options, I think that would work. But it takes real thought by policymakers. It takes real effort, not just passing a one-page statute that makes it a crime to sleep outside, but trying to work together with communities to figure out what can be the solution. I think that hard work is needed, though, because we're talking about human beings who deserve to be part of our community. It's just about figuring out a way to reach a solution that works for everybody. Do both of you, do you think that there's a difference between the way general public and legislators feel about this? I've definitely seen that across the country, uh, across our country. We, we live in a society that's very compassionate. You know, there's so many influences from, from our founders on forward. You know, our society is often judged by how we treat the least off amongst us, right? That's a common ethos, and it's a compassionate society. Here we are just coming off of the giving season where charitable giving, you know, increases and things like that. We have a generous society. Most people have some form of compassion. The legislators, though, and in fairness, maybe they're busy. They've probably got a dozen other bills they're working on, seem to be taking the shortest path, which is let's make it illegal and hope that that fixes it. Well, time and time again, just making conduct illegal tends to make the problem worse. And Stephanie, to close in, in one sentence, why does this matter? This matters because it's a universal question and it's a big question for Missourians. Are we going to reach out a hand to help the less fortunate or are we going to put them in cages? Are lawsuits prepared to defend against those concepts and backed by the Constitution? Thank you both for coming today to, to speak with us about this. Thanks, Elaine. Thank you, Elaine. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dore. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. 
St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.